Welcome to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. Alfonso Cuaron's new movie, Gravity, takes place almost entirely in outer space. Now, it's not really feasible to bring an entire crew and a couple of actors up into orbit just to shoot a movie. So any film that wants to recreate the space environment runs into a key problem. Here on Earth, how do you imitate weightlessness? Throughout movie history, filmmakers have tried optical illusions, groundbreaking computer animation, even real astronaut training scenarios. Today on the podcast, we'll talk about some of the movie tricks and techniques that have worked best when trying to simulate weightlessness. Houston Station on 2... I'm Don Pettit. I'm on the International Space Station. We're going to look at how crew in orbit can drink beverages out of an open container, not unlike what we do on Earth. This is zero-G cup, and I'm putting some tea in it. NASA has always made an effort to show the general public what the weightless environment of space looks like. Astronauts who are orbiting the Earth or flying to the moon experience very close to zero gravity. It's more accurately referred to as microgravity. And since the 1960s, those astronauts have regularly made movies and broadcasts where they show the people of Earth what microgravity looks like, the way that humans and other objects float through the air with ease. Now, because of those visuals, the public has become familiar with the way that weightlessness should look. And that sets a high bar for Hollywood. There's no easy way to replicate microgravity on Earth. So filmmakers have to use tricks and substitutions, and audiences can often spot discrepancies. The most recent entry into this category is the movie Gravity, which takes place almost entirely in space. The trailer features a terrifying sequence where an astronaut is knocked free of the space shuttle and is spinning through open space, unable to steady herself. The scenes in the movie Gravity that take place outside the space shuttle were mostly rendered with state-of-the-art CGI technology. There were actually some things that were invented just for this movie. But there are scenes that take place inside the International Space Station, and those utilize one of the oldest tricks in the book. Suspend the actor with wires. Sandra Bullock, who plays Dr. Ryan Stone in the movie, became a human marionette when she was suspended by a 12-wire system that was actually operated by puppeteers. Now, obviously, if the actress merely dangled from the wires, it would look rather obvious that she was not actually weightless. So getting this trick to work takes some effort. 
Bullock had to mime the motions of someone swimming in microgravity. And this act was apparently very physically strenuous. She had to use all of the muscles in her body to make it look like she wasn't using any of the muscles in her body. And this was apparently so physically strenuous that she could only manage to do it for 30 seconds to a minute before she had to rest. Personally, I thought those scenes looked very convincing, but some very careful viewers noticed one key flaw. Sandra Bullock's hair does not float the way it should if she was really in microgravity. And when you watch videos of real astronauts, it is noticeable how their hair never sits totally flat. This trick of suspending actors with wires was also used in Stanley Kubrick's science fiction masterpiece, 2001, A Space Odyssey. But Kubrick had mixed results. For example, in one scene that takes place in microgravity, a dinner tray starts to float away from its owner. But the motion of the tray is awkward and jerky. It's very easy to see that it's being pulled by two strings. Now that said, 2001 is still an amazing science fiction movie, 45 years after it was released. And Kubrick actually used at least four different tricks throughout the film to deal with the weightlessness issue. There were sound stages where actors were suspended from wires. There were entire sets that rotated upside down. Kubrick also used the standby trick of filmmakers on a budget. He introduced futuristic technology that simply takes care of the weightlessness problem. But my favorite optical illusion that Kubrick used may have been the simplest one. In this scene, there's a passenger aboard a spaceship, and he drops a pen, and the pen floats up into the air, and it has the effortless grace of an object in microgravity. It looks straight out of a real-life NASA video, not at all like a prop suspended on a string. And the pen glides towards the camera until a flight attendant on the spaceship plucks it out of the air, and hands it back to the passenger. Now, for this illusion, the pen was actually attached to a pane of glass. The edges of the glass were off-screen, so the audience couldn't see them. And the off-screen crew moved the glass very carefully to make it look like the pen was actually weightless. 2001 A Space Odyssey was released in 1968, so long before computer animation and CGI tricks were available. Kubrick did incredible things with optical illusion. But when Ron Howard set out to make Apollo 13, he wanted to go one step further. Apollo 13 flight controllers, give me a go, no go for launch. Does it bother you that the public regards this flight as routine? There's nothing routine about flying to the moon. I can vouch for that. Launch control, this is Houston. We are go for launch. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. 
Apollo 13 is based on the true story of the Apollo 13 space mission, which was scheduled to land on the moon in 1970. But two days into the mission, an explosion in one of the ship's oxygen tanks not only canceled the moon landing, but almost cost the lives of the three astronauts on board. For the film adaptation, director Ron Howard wanted the most realistic microgravity effect that he could get. And what's better at looking realistic than the real thing? Many of the space capsule scenes in Apollo 13 are actually shot in what is called a reduced gravity aircraft, also known as a vomit comet. The nickname comes from the fact that many people who ride in one of these aircraft lose their lunch as a result of its intense motion. While unpleasant, that motion creates an environment where passengers are actually weightless. They float freely around the cabin of the aircraft, not unlike astronauts in space. The weightlessness only lasts for about 25 seconds at a time. There are now commercial companies that sell flights on reduced gravity aircraft, and passengers can get a total of about 10 minutes of weightlessness. It costs about $5,000. Weightlessness is possible in these aircraft because of how the plane flies. In particular, it traces out a parabola. So this is kind of like hills on a roller coaster. First, the plane accelerates very rapidly up at a 45-degree angle to the ground. And as it nears its maximum altitude, the pilot eases up on the thrust. But the passengers keep moving up. And as the plane levels out, they're effectively in a state of free fall. And that means that for about 20 or 25 seconds, they are effectively weightless. Then the plane starts to point back down toward the Earth, and the passengers are once again victims of gravity until the plane starts the next parabola. When Ron Howard started working on Apollo 13, only NASA and the Army owned and operated these aircraft. So when he got the idea to film scenes inside one of these planes, he had to get NASA's approval and their help. And he did. So the movie crew built a set and bolted it down inside one of these reduced gravity aircraft. And many of the scenes in Apollo 13 that take place in space were actually filmed in short 25-second bursts inside a vomit comet. So filmmakers have used all kinds of tricks to imitate weightlessness for the sake of storytelling and the sake of transporting the audience to a place where most of us will never get to go. And it's really exciting to think about what the next generation of filmmakers will do to accomplish this task. If you'd like to see some video examples of the things that I talked about in the podcast today, go to our blog, physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com, and I'll have some videos posted there. You've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. As always, you can find more podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at physicscentral.com. 
Tune in next week for more of the Physics Central podcast. <laughs>